The book of Tanya was published in 1796, on the 20th day of the month of Kislev, or 225 years ago today. Now, it's a relatively small book. It's about th it's 325 pages of large type in the classic print, uh, but it has made really a unique impact on Jews and on Judaism, and really on the lives of countless people, ten thousands or probably even millions of people over the years. The book itself has been printed thousands of times all over, all over the world. It has been translated into more than two dozen languages. Um, and it's really a very, very powerful life-changing book. Now the book of Tanya was composed by Reb Shneir Zalman of Liadi, who was the founder of the Chabad branch of the Hasidic movement. And it is really the first work of Hasidus that explains the basic, basic principles of the movement and how a Hasid or a follower of the Hasidic movement should live their life. It's not only the first, but it's been ever since the most important book of Hasidism and explaining what Hasidus is and how a person who wants to live by Hasidic teachings should live their life. It brought up many powerful new ideas on life, on Judaism, on our relationship with God that will really change the way we live, the approach to our life and our views of Judaism and our relationship with God. So in the book, in this book of Tanya, he actually at the very beginning, in the opening, there are two endorsements for the book that the author, Reb Shneir Zalman of Liadi, sought from his colleagues Two friends, he himself was a student of Reb Dov Ver of Mizrich, the second leader of the Hasidic movement, and two of his colleagues, also students of Reb Dov Ver, the Maggid of Mizrich, were Reb Zusha and Reb Arya Leib Hakoin. Both lived in a town in Ukraine called Anapoli. They were both very famous, um, well, re highly regarded students of the Maggid of Mizrich, and both of them wrote endorsements to the Book of Tanya. And so when Reb Zusha received the original manuscript before it was printed, when he was asked for an endorsement, he remarked when he saw it that the author fit such a big God into such a small book. So it's a book, really, it's a small book, but it really can fit a big, it fits a big God inside. And really, it's a way to connect to God. And he said, the um, Zohar says that with the book of Zohar, we will, um, we'll, we, with the book of, by studying the book of Zohar, it will lead us to the ultimate redemption um, the, with Moshiach. And Sir Abzusha made the same remark that with the, this book of Tanya will change lives, bringing us closer to the coming of Moshiach. And then his colleague, Rav Aryalev of Anipoli, when he read the book, he remarked that this um, this book of Tanya serves as a solution, a Torah, for all bodily and soul problems, all problems that a person may have um, in their lives. The book of Tanya can help solve all of one's life's problems. A recent um, rework of the book of Tanya in, um, for modern life is titled GPS of the Soul because it helps, find, helps you find direction in life. It's a very, very powerful book 
that helps direct us in life, helps us understand who we are and what we are. So what is the power of this book of Tanya? What is so powerful about it? So in order to really understand what the book of Tanya is about, because it's the key book of the Hasidic movement, Hasidism, it's important to first understand what is Hasidus? What is the Hasidic movement about? So in the past, I've done a class where we spoke about what is Hasidism, what, it's, what the ideas behind it are. But just in short, so that we have a sense of what Hasidism is about. Hasidus was a movement founded in 1733, so almost 300 years ago, by Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shemtev. Yisrael Baal Shemtev lived in a town called Bezhebuz, which was in Western Ukraine, it's still there today. Um, and he, and he, he, he started in this town, he started this movement called Hasidism. What exactly was th this movement? So Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shemtev was what we would call a mekubal in Hebrew or a Kabbalist. He was an expert, as was common throughout Judea, throughout Jewish history. He was one of many who was an expert in the teachings of Kabbalah, as they had been taught over the years. Um, now, Kabbalah is the mystical side of Judaism that speaks about the deeper meaning behind the Torah and the commandments um, in how they impact our relationship with God. Kabbalah explains the human or the relationship between creation and creator and helps us understand how, understand how we can relate to the Creator. Now, the Kabbalah in general is a very, very difficult subject. It's a hard subject to understand. It's very, very abstract, um, very, very deep, and very difficult to understand. And therefore, because of its difficulty, most people didn't study Kabbalah. Generally, only very bright scholars who were already very familiar with Torah, with the Torah's laws, the Torah's rules and um, teachings, um, would begin to study Kabbalah and only then with a special teacher. So while it was studied over the years by many people, it wasn't usually a kind of lay person's work. Kabbalah, Kabbalah became more widely studied um, after the Arizal, Rabbi Yitzchak Luria, who we did a class about it. Um, a year ago or so, we spoke about Rabbi Yitzchak Luria, who lived in the 1500s and was one of the um, one of the greatest Kabbalists of all times. Um, and so there were many Kabbalists throughout the years in different places. Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov was a study was a student and later teacher of Kabbalah, but he wasn't just a Kabbalist. He did more than that. There are many many powerful ideas found in Kabbalah and found in Judaism very, very deep ideas that really when you think about it and apply it, it changes your perspective on life, changes your perspective on our relationship with God, on who we are, what our life is, what our role in life is, about our, what Torah is about, God's commandments, Judaism. So what Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov did is he took these ideas, these very powerful ideas, explained in Kabbalah in great depth in an abstract way, not accessible to regular people. And he simplified them, made them very practical and developed them in a way that regular lay people can understand them, 
can relate to them and can live by them. So it's a movement that recognizes our unique connection to God and then teaches us how to live by that. What are these ideas that citizen has popularized or brought to regular people, allowed regular people to relate to, allowed regular people to understand. So some of the central ideas in Chassidus are, firstly, the belief, people often believe that God is this thing out there, this powerful thing out there that is bigger than me, right? I'm very small. God is very big, more powerful than me, will reward me for doing good and punish me for doing bad. So I'm forced to do what God wants. And so life then becomes a battle between me and God. God is this thing out there that wants me to do some things. And I want to do something else. It's almost, if you want to think of it, it's like the battle that we regular citizens sometimes have to fight with our government, right? Government says you got to do this. It's unfair. It's, um, it's difficult. And so we don't want to do that, but we don't have a choice because they have the power of the they have the power of they have the power of force. They can force us. So if they make us close our restaurants, we have no choice. We have to, even if we think it's wrong. So, but so they say people think of God in that way, this big thing out there that makes us do all these things that is bigger than us. So we don't have a choice. So Kabbalah actually explains that Chassidus showed us that that's actually not true at all. God is all encompassing. Everything exists within God. God is everywhere. We are just a part of God. We are a part of the creator. Nothing exists outside of the creator. God is not something outside. He's not something out there, this other powerful force. God is us. We are God. We are a part of him. Everything around us is within God because God is everything. So it's not something else out there. It's ourselves. It's our world. It's our reality. We are just an extension of the creator. When we communicate with God, when we speak to God, when we pray, we're not just talking to this thing out there, this great powerful being. We're talking to ourselves. We're talking to our deeper selves, who we really are. We're connecting to ourselves, to the real reality, the true reality. Another powerful Hasidic teaching of the Baal Shem Tov, based again, based on the teachings of Kabbalah, people often think that our world was created good and that we humans messed it up. And now we have to fix up our own problems. But where are the problems? Kabbalah, the Arizal teaches that's not correct. God actually created our world as a mixture of good and bad. Our entire world is mixed. Everything is a mixture of good and bad in it. It is our role to elevate the good and reject the bad. But do not think that we are responsible for the problems in this world. No, it's part of the plan. All the problems that come our way are part of Okay, so, um, so I was talking earlier about citizen and the powers, the powerful teachings of citizen, what citizen has taught us. And so um, one thing I mentioned was um, how our, the belief that God is all encompassing, um, how he is everywhere. We are just an extension of the creator. 
how our world is created with both good and bad within it. Do not think that humans were the ones that caused um, the evil or caused bad to happen, but rather bad is part of God's plan. God created bad in this world in order to give us a chance to overcome it, in order to give us a chance to, um, to, to conquer the bad, to find the good within the bad. Another powerful concept from, that comes again from Kabbalah that Chassidus has, that the Baal Shem Tov taught us, that Chassidus brought the world, is the role that we play. We humans are God's agents on earth. We were placed here by God, not so that we should live our lives in peace and tranquility, not that we should become successful, um, not that we should become famous, or that we should see 50 places before we die. God placed us on this earth as his agents. We are agents of God with a very clear mission that God gives us that we are supposed to live by this mission in order to make this making this world a better place. Another powerful teaching, again, from the teachings of Kabbalah that was brought by the Baal Shem Tov um, to made, made popular for all of us to understand and connect to is our relationship with the Torah. A mitzvah is not only a commandment, the word mitzvah means to connect. It's what connects us with God. We are finite creations, but we can connect to the infinite, rise above being finite. We can connect to God. And the way we do so, the way we connect to God is by following his commandments. The Torah is not just God's instructions to us, but it is God's expression. The way God expresses himself when we study God's Torah, we are studying God himself. We are connecting to God. We have God's expression. We are reading God's expression. So these are a number of very powerful ideas from, um, that were always part of Judaism, part of Jewish mysticism, that the Baal Shem Tov brought to us. And he showed, the, he simplified them in very simple words, allowing all of us to understand and to live by, live a life where you recognize yourself as God's agent, live a life where you see everything around you as a part of God, where you see challenges as sent by God to you to improve your life and to follow his mission. See God's commands not just as a burden, but as an opportunity to connect with him. So this, these were teachings of the Baal Shem Tov. And these basic ideas were expressed in many of the Baal Shem Tov's teachings um, that were recorded. And later, these teachings were continued by his successor, Rav Dover of Mizrich. However, while these teachings were expressed in the many teachings of the Baal Shem Tov and Rav Dover, they had never been organized in an organized way, in a structured way, into a how-to-do book or a book of how to live your life based on Hasidic teachings. And that is what the Tanya did. The Tanya was the first and the most important book to do exactly that, to explain to you what Chassidus is, what Chassidism is about, and how it changes our lives. So what exactly is the book of Tanya? What exactly does it say? So first with what is, where did it get the name Tanya from? So actually, Tanya was not the name given to the book by the author. When the author wrote the book, um, Shnei Zaman of Liadi, 
he called the book, or the Alter Rebbe, as he's known, he called the book Lukute Amarin, a collection of sayings. Because that's essentially what it was. It was a collection of sayings of his teacher, Rabdov Ber of Mizrich, the Margaret of Mizrich, and Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov. And he simply organized the teachings of his teachers. So he called it a collection of sayings, Lukute Amarin. He also used another, he called it a second term, what today we'd call a subtitle. The subtitle he used for the book was Sefer Shel Benonim, the book for average people, the book for regular people. And the reason is because he was not going to teach a book. It was not a book focused on how people can be perfect. Often self-help books, books that are trying to help you improve your life, um, your character, tell you how you can be a perfect person, what it would take to succeed, to be successful. Tanya doesn't do that. It doesn't explain to you how to be successful. It explains to you how to be a Benoni, how to be an average person, how to live through life as a regular person with all of life's challenges. Not how to win, but how to fight. And so, so those are the names given to it officially. However, over the years, the book became known as Tanya, which is actually the opening word of the book. The book begins with the words Tanya, it was, which is Aramaic for it was taught. Um, and it's a quote from the Talmud, the book of Nida. Um, and it begins with a quote saying it was taught in the Talmud. So it starts with the word Tanya. So that was simply the opening word of the book. But for whatever reason, over the years, the book became known by its opening word. It became known as the book of Tanya. The Altarebi's followers pointed out that the book of the word Tanya, the name is called Tanya, and he started with the word Tanya. The word Tanya in Hebrew, Taf Nun Yud Aleph, if you switch around the letters, is the same as the word can make the word Eitan. Eitan means strength in Hebrew. And that is because the book of Tanya is there to strengthen our souls. It is there to give us real strength. Fortify our souls, make it strong. So the book of Tanya actually has, it's a small book, relatively small book, as, as I mentioned, 325 pages of fairly large type. Um, but it's split into five different parts. The first part of the Tanya is called Lekutei Amarim, a collection of sayings. The second part, it's 53 chapters, and it's about personal self-development and how an individual can build a relationship with God. The second part of the Tanya is called Sha'ar Hayichud Vaha'emunah, the gate of unity and faith. And it speaks about the Hasidic understanding of the human-God relationship, what we believe, how what we believe God is and God's relationship with creation. The third part of the Tanya is called Igeret Hachuva, and that is about the Hasidic understanding of the concept of Teshuva, which is usually translated as repentance, but as we'll see in a moment, that's not exactly what it is. The fourth part of the Tanya is called Igeret HaKodesh, which literally means holy letters. And it's really a collection of letters. The, the third part was 
added after the death of the author by his children, and it was in a subsequent printings. And it's essentially a collection of letters of the Alter Rebbe that explain various topics that were discussed in the first three books. So there were various topics that were discussed briefly, and so it's very it's letters of the Alter Rebbe that explain some of those topics more in detail. And then the final section is called Kuntras Achram, which means literally the final booklet. And it's a collection of a handful of lengthy explanations on a, some of the more difficult topics mentioned in the first three books. And so the first three books are essentially the bulk of the Tanya, and the last two are extended explanations, um, what you would call um, you know, footnotes or um, kind of extended explanations um, of particular ideas. So what exactly are these three books about? So the first book we mentioned is Lukutea Marim, a collection of sayings. And it opens by explaining the soul. It actually starts by pointing out, quoting from the Talmud, that before a person comes, before a soul comes down to earth, before a person is born, the soul is made to swear, or an oath is put on the soul, that they, the soul will be righteous. And so we're instructed to be righteous, we're committed to be righteous when we come down. But what do we mean by that? So it goes into great detail explaining our soul. What exactly is the soul? And we explain over there that the soul really has two sides. There's two parts to the human soul. Here's what we call an animal soul. The animal soul is our animalistic instincts. It's our feelings. It's our self-centered feelings. What we need, what we want. We want, sometimes we're lazy, sometimes we're angry, sometimes we're happy. The way we feel, that is our animal soul. It's our animalistic personal feelings. It's about the animal soul is a soul that's focused on myself. How can I improve my lot? How can I make my life better? Sometimes it is instinctive. It just looks at the here and now. Sometimes it gets a little smarter and it thinks long term. What can I do? Maybe I can have delayed gratification. Get gratification later. But it's about me, what I can do for myself. But then we have another side to ourselves. And the other side is our godly soul. A godly soul that wants to do the right thing. It's not focused on me and what I want and how I can feel better and how I can succeed. It's focused on what I'm supposed to be doing. Maybe um, our modern equivalent would be our sense of conscience. Our sense that we want to do the right thing whether it helps me or not because it helps me, not because I'm going to gain from it in any way from doing the right thing, but because the right thing to do, that's what we're supposed to be doing. So it's a part of us that wants to do the right thing. And every person has these two parts in them, which is why very good people sometimes do very bad things, or at least have urges to do very bad things. And very bad people struggle with regret for the bad they do. Because everyone has that positive side, that good side, and that bad side. Everybody has that two sides, the selfish side, that's self-centered. It's not always bad. Self-centered and 
a God-centered soul focused on doing the right thing. We each have these two sides within us. And our lives for the average person, for the Benoni, is really an ongoing battle. Life is a constant battle. There's no break from this battle. Until the day we die, you can't get rid of your negative side, your impulses. They don't disappear. We can quieten them. Each side, the more you give it, the stronger it gets. So the more you give into your animalistic, your selfish side, the more selfish you get. The more you give into your godly side, the more godly or the more good focused you are. But you still always have both sides. And life is there for a constant battle. You're constantly battling through life. You're not meant to win. There is no win in life. Only fighting. You've got a constant battle. And you could win particular battles, daily battles. But you cannot win the battle of life until life is ended. It's gonna, you're going to cons consistently fight. And you'll, you're always going to have these two sides within you. The good side and the bad side. We will have both. So what do we need to do? So the key is we need to motivate ourselves. In order to keep winning, you need to remain motivated. What is the key to motivating ourselves? We need to have a strong emotional relationship with God. We have a strong feeling for God. It drives us to do the right thing. And there's really two types of those feelings. There's what we call Ahavat Hashem, love of God. We cherish God. We recognize that we are God's agents here on earth. We have a role to fulfill. We were placed here for a purpose, for a reason. We need to do these things. God is what God wants from us. This is what God placed us here for. And so it's a drive to do what we're supposed to be doing. And then the other feeling that we have to develop at the same time is an awe, fear of God. We cannot bring ourselves to do the wrong thing. We've got to train ourselves. We do the right thing because the right thing to do. You can't do the wrong thing because it's wrong to the point that we don't want to bring ourselves to do the wrong thing. That's what we call Yerat Hashem, fear of God. Now, it's sometimes hard to train ourselves to do the right thing and the wrong thing, to, to want to do the right thing and be afraid, sorry, to do the wrong thing. It's hard to develop those feelings that we want to do what's right and we don't want to do what's wrong. And at those moments that it's hard, says the Tanya, every person has deep down this natural feeling they just want to do the right thing. And all we have to do is wake it up. We just have to find this feeling that's already there inside of us, deep down inside of us, that we always want to do the right thing. We can't bring ourselves to do something wrong. And what tends to happen is when we are tempted to do the right thing, we tend to justify it. It's not a big deal. Eh, it doesn't matter if we do this small thing. But if we recognize that every single bad thing we do is a huge deal for God, it really matters to Him, a huge deal for our role here on earth, for our purpose here on earth. When we recognize that, and we recognize the impact of every small action, then that should wake up our deep down feeling, that, deep, that spark within us that never wants to do the wrong thing, always wants to do the right thing. And then the Tanya continues to point out that in order to be, in order to succeed in this battle in life, we need to be highly motivated. In order to have the feelings to do the right thing and be afraid to do the wrong thing, we need to be highly motivated. We need to be high energy. 
Low energy is a recipe for failure. You need to be energetic. Just like if you are fighting an actual battle, you would need to have energy. You're not energized, you'll lose. So too in the battle of life. No energy, you, you lose. Problem is people sometimes feel low energy. They feel depressed. Things are going wrong. They have problems in their lives. So it's important to remember that everything comes from God. God gives us everything that comes our way for a purpose. And even if God gave us negative feel, uh, if God gave us negatives, bad things came our way, it's also for a purpose. It's there to overcome. It's there to deal with. So don't let it pull you down. Don't let it give you any negative um, feelings. Don't let it make you feel depressed or sad, but rather continue to be energized knowing this is your purpose. This is your goal in life. Sometimes we just lose interest in general. We have, we just feel slow and kind of lose interest, not because anything's particularly bothering us. And so even then you got to wake yourself up. You got to energize yourself and recognize that it's coming from the evil inclination, from the negative side within us, trying to pull us down. I'm not going to let it. And so you got to, we've got to continue working hard to focus on, to energize ourselves, to be able to overcome um, the negative side within us and be able to win those daily battles that we have in life. The Tanya then continues to talk about the purpose of um, our of our lives, our goal. Our goal is to reveal God here on earth, bring God's presence, allow it to be found here in this world, um, and that will come through the in the future times through the coming of Moshiach. Um, and uh, it goes into some detail about how we can change our world through following God's commandments. So that's a very, very brief synopsis of the first part of the Tanya, the book of Lukutei Amarim. It's very, very powerful. It really teaches us how we can live our lives, um, live the battle in life. Perhaps its most important point is that life is a battle. Life isn't made to win. Life is made to fight. And uh, we're going to be battling our whole lives. We've got to be ready for it every day, every morning when you wake up, ready to fight because life is a battle. And there's constantly daily battles. There's no point where you retire. You retire when it's all over. So that's the first part of Tanya. Very, very powerful teachings. Um, now, the second part of Tanya, Shar HaYichud Ve'emunah, the gate of um, unity and faith, speaks about our relationship with God or the relationship between God and creation. We often think that God created our world beginning of creation, and then set our world on autopilot. And then it kind of runs on its own. But that's a mistake, says the Tanya. In fact, the Tanya argues that the way God created, and this is from the teachings of Kabbalah again, but simplified for us to be able to, lay people to be able to understand. In fact, the Tanya explains that when God created creation, we were created in such a way that we need to constantly be created in order to exist. Think of it like the figment of your imagination. You've got to constantly be thinking about those figures in your imagination. The moment you stop thinking about them, they disappear, they're gone. You could be thinking about a stadium with tens of thousands of people, and then someone interrupts your train of thought, they're gone. That we are God's figments of God's imagination. And God must create us continuously at every moment. The moment God stops creating us, we disappear. We're gone. 
So in other words, everything that happens, everything, everything that is happens is just an extension of God's power of creation within us at every moment. In other words, we are simply an extension of the Creator. We don't exist on our own. We are not independent of the Creator in any way. We are not our own independent existence. We are simply a part of God, totally within God and dependent of God. And our goal in life then is to reveal God's presence within our reality. Reveal that we are not independent creations, but we are rather totally dependent and a part of God. The third part of Tanya is Igeret Hachuva, which literally translates as the letter on Tshuva. Now, Tshuva, as we mentioned, is usually translated as repentance. You do something wrong and you feel really bad and you beg God to forgive you. But actually, the Hebrew word Tshuva comes from the word Lashuv, to return. And so the Tanya explains that Tshuva really means to return to God. And what that means is every soul is really a part of God. God essentially placed part of himself here on earth as his agent to make an impact here on earth. Now what happens is as we live our lives, we often get carried away. We get carried away with materialism, with our personal needs, with our careers. We get carried away with other things. And we forget our purpose in life. Teshuvah means to return the soul back to God. Refocus. Refocus on our purpose. Recalibrate why we are here. So you don't need to do something wrong to do Teshuvah. To return. Every person can recalibrate in some way or another. Because we have our negative side that we spoke about earlier. Every person is driven after materialism. Every person struggles with that. Every person can recalibrate and return their soul back to God, refocus and recognize that I am put here for a purpose and my life should be, my life should be focused on the purpose for which I was placed. So those are the basic themes of the first three books of Tanya. The other two books, as we said, just explain various themes that are mentioned within the first three books. But as you can see, it is a very, very powerful book, um, really a life-changing book. Um, and if you haven't, many thousands of people, millions of people, I would say, have totally changed their lives, the way they live their lives, because they studied the Tanya. I know many people personally who have told me that the Tanya changed their lives. And today, there are many, many translations of the Tanya. There are reworks of the Tanya, classes in Tanya. There are books that explain what the Tanya is about, or writing the Tanya in other words, in more modern words, or translations of the original. Um, there are also a lot of audio, video books of the Tanya. Uh, there's actually a cycle where you study the, a little bit of the Tanya, a couple lines every day. It's not that big of a book, and you can complete, I guess, on average, a page of Tanya, and you complete it within a year. You can complete the whole Tanya over an entire year. So if you have not yet studied the Tanya, or if you've studied it, but it hasn't yet changed your life, I would encourage you to study it. Start today, study a little bit every day, and it can really make a difference. Um, if you want to study the Tanya online, um, my suggestion is, firstly, if you want to study books about the Tanya, there are a number of books about Tanya that you can study. There's a great book called GPS for the Soul by Rabbi Chase Taub that is kind of a rework of the Tanya. Um, Rabbi Steinsaltz has a couple books on Tanya. I know Bart had one a moment ago that he was sharing. Um, 
that has a couple books explaining the Tanya in his own words. Um, there's a great translation called The Practical Tanya by Rabbi Chaim Miller um, that you can get. Um, if you want to go online, the, if you go to our website, jccmb.com, and you put in a forward slash and write Tanya, T-A-N-Y-A, um, you will get to a whole section dedicated just to Tanya with lots of articles about the Tanya, translations of the Tanya, audio of the Tanya, video of the Tanya, and you can, um, you, you have many, many different options and ways to study Tanya. There's a lot of different options out there and it can be confusing. So if you're looking for one particular suggestion, here is my suggestion. Um, there is a great class, what I think is the best class on the Tanya, maybe I'm a little biased, but it's by my uncle, um, Rabbi Yoshua Binyamin Gordon, um, who was a rabbi here in the Valley. Um, and you can access that at rabbigordonlive.com. So if you go to the website, rabbigordonlive.com, I believe it also fits into feeds into our website. If you do jccmb.com forward slash Rabbi Gordon, um, you will get my uncle's classes. He has classes on a couple different topics, but if you click on the Tanya tab, then every day it will give you the reading of Tanya for that day split over the year. Um, his classes are, he's very, are, he explains it really well and he's very entertaining, has a good sense of humor too. Um, and so I would strongly encourage you to use that um, if you need to choose one. Um, start today, go to the website now and when we're done um, or do it today and then follow every single day and you will really appreciate um, those classes and it really can be life-changing. It really can change your life. So I encourage you, if you haven't yet studied Tanya, I encourage you to do so. Um, 